0: Podcast
1: One. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listenable, uh, our podcast about disability and inclusion and accessibility. Um, we're going to have our guest for our podcast a little later on, but we're going to start our podcast with another guest. Of somebody who was nominated, Danielle. Hello, Danielle. Hi. How are you? Now, you are the mother of Max, who has a disability. What's his disability?
0: I'm the mother of the fantastic Max. Max has panhypopituitarism. Very long name for yeah. a three in a million rare condition. Three in a million. Three in a million. Okay. So That's how does right. it how does it affect him? Well, the pituitary is the sort of master computer of the brain that controls everything in the body, from respirations to your immune system to your metabolism, to, uh, you know, your ability to wake up. So it affects him in, you know, countless ways. Uh, And he's 12 now. So in lots of ways, you know, he is a walking, talking miracle, uh, you know, medical and therapy miracle. And he's done fantastic, but it's been a long sort of hard battle to get him here in terms of, you know, the various systems that, We've had to fight along
1: the way. Now, you were nominated uh, as a guest by Sybil. Um, now, Sybil sent us an email. Uh, is she a friend of yours? How Do you know Sybil? Yeah, she is. She's a friend of mine. Yeah, and she calls you a lioness mum. Now, you're a lawyer as well, um, which is yes. a space we're going to talk about because you can be uh, that lion, that fighter for Max and also other people with disability for some of the, I guess, discrimination that you're going through. Um, the, the word that she used was curveball that has been thrown at you during COVID. Can you talk to us about that?
0: Yes, well, I I guess, you know, over Max's lifetime, there's been various battles in relation to recognition for his condition in terms of Medicare, NDIS and the PBS. And the recent one, uh, I guess, that I went on my dragon mother rant about Mm. was in relation to medication changes. Uh, So Max is on a series of medications that essentially keep him alive every day, one of the medications he takes uh, three times a day and suddenly during COVID it tripled in price. And in finding out why and, and how this is possible, what was decided apparently months before is this particular medication is a premium medication, it's called. Uh, and what that means is it comes with a, a premium price. And the fact that there is no generic available means that you have to pay the premium price and that this shift in policy um, occurred during COVID, which I think was just in terms of timing. It was always going to happen. But terrible timing, I think, in terms of not just for Max, but for other people whose essential life-saving medication has become premium and they had no idea. So there are some families I'm in contact with that pay now instead of $6, uh, a script pay over $100 to continue to, to provide medication for their family members. And the challenge is that it's not like you obviously cannot choose to pay the pay that amount. You're it's sort of in
1: yeah.
0: mm. that's
2: right. Obviously this isn't life saving, but um when somebody has a patent on a medicine, that's why they're discussed as premium because you're not allowed to make a generic. Yeah. So they might make something and then they keep that patent on it for twenty years. You do not understand how happy a nineteen year old Dylan was. When the patent for Viagra, because it's so man, it was two hundred bucks for eight, and cool. I had to pay that ever since I was a kid, and then it went because it wasn't on the PBS. And then it goes on the public, like that's an important part of life, of course. And then it goes down to twenty bucks for eight. So, so I know people with disability who couldn't get involved in sexual activity because I couldn't afford it. It's hard, you know what I mean. And I yeah. remember I, I I take a drug to not have to go to the bathroom as much. There was yeah. a there's a generic there's not a generic version. There's another version that was on the PBS for ten bucks a month gave me head spins, I felt sick. So I had to go on another one. Guess how much so I still pay this guess how much it cost me? It cost me 150 bucks a month still. Mm. And I can't live without that. You know what I mean? I, I guess how can these people have a better understanding of to fix this kind of stuff, do you think?
0: Well, I think in terms of I I guess the PBS, um like so I've been involved pretty much since Max was born, about getting another one of his medications onto the PBS that was costing forty thousand dollars a year. But in my time, there was three legal attempts to get it on and the last one was successful. So now we're down to the $6.80 per script.
1: Who's making and that decision? Who's who's the one who's taking this off the premium list? Who's the person? I bet they're able to. People in it. offices, bro. Yeah. People in offices have probably never seen anyone with a disability in their life.
0: The argument that this saves someone's life and without it, this person will die and they will be chronically unwell in the meantime Uh, is not enough in terms of decisions to decide to pass it or not. Because what they, you know, what I guess the the legal system we're operating on is the UN system under the World Health Organisation that puts a premium figure on people to decide whether they are worth saving or not. And if you're going to cost too much in terms of the system, they will let you go. So one of the rounds, speaking of Viagra, one of the rounds where Max's medication, that medication was not approved, there was a higher dose of Viagra and a new nicotine patch that was approved hmm. when his medication was declined.
2: See? It's crazy. And
0: because I thought, and I understand in terms of those medications, they are important, but his medication, his injections, save his life every single day. Yeah. Hmm. And the, And this decision in terms of these people who are rare and not worthy because there's not enough of them and potentially they could be sacrificed and they'll be costing too much over the years, as opposed to these people who maybe need it for other reasons and there are other health benefits, that determination is based on some sort of imaginary figure that we all have on us, some number, about what is the quality of our life and what is it worth.
1: Let's just say the pharmaceutical company will always charge $100. You're talking about government subsidies of that, bringing it down to a cost that is achievable for a family, right? So the government come in and pay a certain amount of that. And then you pay the rest, right? Like a Medicare essential. Yes. So you're not really appealing to the pharmaceutical companies, which is a battle that you don't want to take on. I've seen politicians kind of getting embroiled in that scheme and a lot of people paying for their campaigns, Big Pharma. But you're actually appealing to the government for subsidies of that amounts.
0: Yeah, so the reality is that the big pharma wants their drugs on the PBS. They want it because Ah. then it becomes publicly available to the masses. Ah, right. But what they have to pay a really large application fee to get their drugs on. Mm. And say for Max's medication that had been previously rejected in multiple rounds, part of the discussion with them was like, why would we try again? Like this is not going to happen in Australia. And the fact that this particular medication was approved in every Western country for the reason of saving someone's life Australia
2: was holding out because they said there's just not enough people to justify the cost. Was enormous. Max is obviously lucky that you're such a jet. You know what I mean? And, and can advocate for him as well. If if young yeah. kids aren't lucky enough to have parents who can do that, because it might not be in their skill set or whatever it is, it makes it a lot harder. It's just so,
1: crazy to me that you get. There's no notice either. Not even a six month warning, so there can be a preparation for it.
2: You can't even prepare. No. Eight hundred bucks a month.
1: Oh, no, I just know. Loose, but at least yeah. you might have six months to prepare. An argument for it. Oh, yeah, you know, you might be able to put yeah. something together before that point. To, just speak, to rock up to it, it just blows my mind you can rock up to a chemist and be find out your script has changed so dramatically.
2: Max sounds like a legend and he's very yeah. lucky to have a legendary mum. Uh,
0: he is a legend and he uh, is uh, very keen to be interviewed by you because oh. he considers you both to be legends as well. And where is he? Is he next to you?
2: Hey, Maxie! Maxie
0: boy! boy. Hi.
1: Hi, legend. You good? <laughs> Do
2: you love your mum? She's a bit of a legend as well. Yes.
1: Yeah. We couldn't agree more. Well, we wanted to say hello to you. A big thanks to your mum. Uh, for anyone listening, it's Danielle Spokes from Equal Opportunity. You can go to equalopportunity.com.au to find out more. When we read this email about, you know, the changes in your lives and the lives of many people living with disability when it comes to medication, um, it needed to be highlighted. So thanks for uh, coming on and being the voice for that moment.
0: Great. Right,
2: thank you. And thanks for making the time for us. And Max, when I come to w- near Wollongong, can I come hang out with you? you going to take sure. me to the beach? Sure. sure. All right, done.
1: <laughs> a huge thank you once again to Danielle for coming onto our podcast to talk about those changes in medicine during these crazy pandemic times. Uh, we thought we needed to highlight that and know that that's some of your struggles as well out there listening. Uh, this episode is not just Danielle, though. It's uh, sort, sort of two parts. Our next guest talks about something everybody living with a disability will one day face. And hopefully with her expertise, the future's looking a lot more bright.
2: It's a world of disability that I thought I might not be able to tackle myself growing up.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Because
2: it's hard. Mm -hmm. There's a massive lack of resources online about how to do this task. If you have a disability, there really wasn't any when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I used to do a bit of this due to my sport, but there was a time after or in between playing basketball and tennis, I'm like, stuff it. I'm going to do what every young Aussie does pretty much and just save some money, pack a bag. And I went travelling overseas.
1: But with a disability, what does that look like?
2: It's tough. It's tough. But I've lived through it, um, but I'm no expert. I've got no resources myself. But we're very excited that today's guest does.
1: Let's let her introduce herself. Well, I'm
3: Julie, and I am the proud mum of a son who is 24, nearly 25, who lives with cerebral palsy, is nonverbal, uses a wheelchair and needs help with all his daily living needs. And I once upon a time wondered how we would travel as a family when he was first diagnosed with a disability. I used to work in the travel industry as a travel consultant. So I had lots of um, capabilities regarding researching and was amazed at how few resources there were. There was very little information, picked up magazines, picked up the newspaper, didn't see anything about traveling with a disability. So there was no representation it was always the family of four climbing the top of the mountain or yeah. you know, imagery like that and just couldn't see anything. So I found it quite isolating because I felt how was the world going to cater to my son who was social and active and wanting to do everything um, and so I just felt like society wasn't really welcoming to him. So that was the start of our journey.
1: And your idea is Travel Without Limits, which has a website and a magazine, travelwithoutlimits.com.au, where you specifically focus on travel within disability.
2: So you don't have a disability yourself, but obviously your, your son does. What's your son's name, by the way? My son is Brayden. Braden. All right, cool. So was Brayden your, how many kids do you have? Is he an only child or...
3: So I have two children, Braden's the eldest child, and then there was a seven-year gap before my daughter, just because we're <laughs> immersed in therapy and trying to make cool. sure he had the best chances of doing as much as possible. And when we started to travel, it was really a case of I was telling friends and relatives and felt like that wasn't enough, that there was a wider community that actually needed the information. So that was when we started have Wheelchair Wheel Travel, which is our family blog where we share reviews of hotels and accommodation and it's become quite a powerful tool for sharing with the community but also for making change.
2: Before we get into the travel stuff, um, we've had nobody on the podcast themselves who's nonverbal or no parents of anyone who is nonverbal. so can, your son is, as you said before, can you just explain to the people listening what that means but also how um, Brayden communicates with you?
3: Yeah, Brayden has no speech whatsoever so he uses either gestures, um, pictures to tell us what he wants but what we do know is that his big smile and his appreciation for being involved in the community and active when we do travel um, means that he absolutely loves there. He's really social so being nonverbal and being social is quite difficult yeah. in society because people don't know how to actually communicate with you, they don't know how to engage with you but when you travel, people's barriers are down. So that's a time when you're all experiencing, say, a boat ride in Fiji or a quad biking adventure. And so people immediately have something to talk to him about.
1: I'm able-bodied and I've been on this journey of learning about disability throughout this podcast and it's been an incredible journey. And one thing I've learnt about cerebral palsy is the mind is all there. Do you find that he, with his gestures, um, finds it frustrating at times that people treat him differently because they don't understand that cognitively he's all there? It's just the physical attributes?
3: Yeah, definitely, because he gives a lot of nonverbal cues and unless you're sort of either astute or willing to learn, a lot of those nonverbal cues get missed. Mm. And that's the sad thing because he'll often be trying to communicate with people and they'll, you know, treat him like a two-year-old instead of a 24-year-old.
2: We, we have somebody, I've got a company called Get Good Access where we consult and train and educate communities and governments on how to better understand people with disability. One of the guys that works for us is called Noah, high-level cerebral palsy, can't communicate, computer programmer, makes yeah. video games. You yeah. that you go, that guy makes video games and all the executive goes, that? Like, they don't want to be men They're like, that, that guy. And they're like, he is a computer programmer. And it's amazing hearing stories like this, isn't it? And talking about it, Julie, because it educates the community because they have this misconception that your son can't contribute at all.
3: That's right. And I think when he was first diagnosed with cerebral palsy, he wasn't diagnosed until he was five months of age because everything had gone fine with his birth. And I just wanted to go to a desert island or somewhere because I knew we would always love him and I knew we would never limit him. But my fear was that society would limit him. And that certainly has been the case, though we've had more positive experiences than negative ones. But particularly when you're nonverbal and you're unable to communicate, as you can say, Dylan, People
1: do assume. Being friends with Dylan, I'm sure he's going to share some of his travel stories, which are horrific. It's a space that a lot of people with disability or parents with young kids with disability will think that they're limited to. Does your magazine, blog, website cover caravan sites, interstate, international? Where's the roof for your uh, limitations of what you're covering?
3: Well, there is no limitation. I've been to the most gorgeous, expensive villa, villa at Qualia on Hamilton Island, which, you know, is something like $1,600 a night, to a holiday park that we recently reviewed that has a pool hoist and has gone the extra mile with
1: things like the sink is, you know, wheelchair accessible. Do you find now that people are reaching out to you to showcase what their parks, their hotels, um, their Airbnbs can cater to now?
3: Slowly, slowly. I think it's really improved and I'm hoping that in one way we'll get a positive out of COVID in the fact that we're no longer depending on the overseas market that's quite heavily depended on in the tourism sector. And hopefully people will start looking at the accessible market because it's quite lucrative. My top points for people is always we stay longer at a destination because it's a lot more effort for us to get there. We often travel in a greater group. We've travelled with a support worker to help my son, so that's extra beds and bed nights in a destination. And the disability sector is more loyal. If a place works for them, they go back and back. Yeah. So as much as I would like to think society would just do it because they should be doing it and we should be an inclusive society, the economics is behind it as well.
2: Before we get into like the the grand scope of the world, one thing I love about what, what you do on your site, I understand sometimes and appreciate when people go, disability, God, it's hard to understand it all because there is such a range, right? From physical to non-physical to sensory disabilities, all kinds Invisible. of things. Invi- yeah, exactly right. So one thing I like about your site that I had a flick on is you kind of try and cater for everything? So, there's a section for mobility aids, people like me, wheelchair, um, like end up like your son. There's people with like sensory issues who who need you know oh, quiet areas and that. How do you go about doing the whole scope? Because it must be tough.
3: Well, I think over the years I've had my blog now since 2012, and in the beginning it was all about wheelchair accessibility, what we we're experiencing as a family. But the good thing about my website is it's a community. So the Have Wheelchair will Travel community just feel like telling me their stories. And as I've learned their stories, I've wanted to strive to do more and more. So with Travel Without Limits, we're very much trying to cater to all those different um, needs and we're really doing it from people with lived experience. So I I can't talk from the perspective of of somebody traveling who is blind or somebody who is traveling with autism. I may hear people's stories, but it's not the same as actually hearing it from somebody with lived experience. So the real passion for it is to have people with those experiences telling their stories to help people in a similar situation. That's
1: great. Yeah, well said. And It's like Yelp. You, but, you can put up your own reviews.
2: But yeah. dead said, Julie, <laughs> when you wanted to travel for the first time and you Googled wheelchair travel, what came up? Nothing. Like dead oh. said, nothing. nothing. Nothing.
3: And I – And I have to say, even as working as a travel consultant, I had no experience. We used to do flower tours for elderly people, but that's still, I didn't know what an accessible room looked like. I'd never been in one and I was a travel consultant. So that shows you the lack of understanding that you're going to face as a person travelling with a disability. And still I will ring a resort and I will say, is there accessibility? And they'll say, yes, there's a lift to the whatever floor. There's just a few stairs to get to the
2: lift. yeah big one. I, I stayed in a hostel in London. Yeah, we're wheelchair accessible. I was like, mate, all my mates stay there. Get there. Like, yeah, we've got an elevator and it's like up five stairs. I'm like, why yeah. the hell didn't you just come down five steps more? Yeah. What's the benefit of those stairs? And the hostel's like, oh, that's a good point. You know what I mean? But then I'm, I'm like, I can crawl up steps or get help. But, but someone in your case with your son, electric wheelchair, you can't lift up electric wheelchair up no. a few stairs, you know, it kind of ruins it. And, and I think one thing as well, people market themselves. I have this problem with real estate as well. When I was renting, I'd be like, uh, is your house accessible? They're like, yeah, 100%. So I go to the rental, bathroom's upstairs. I'm like, oh, where am I going to shower? And they go, good point. Mm. And I've just wasted my time.
1: But so that's, yeah. that's just from their lack of that's knowledge I mean. and experience. Though. Hopefully from there on, they learn from that one moment and then can change their mindset. But it needs to be changed at a radical rate. Look, you can
2: imagine for Julie and myself, we get overseas, we're expecting that it's going to be accessible and they've just said that it is just because they want the business. Mm. Makes it hard, doesn't it, Julie?
3: Yeah, it does, and it does them no favours either. But I don't know how anyone's going to learn if there isn't representation in the media, if there is no talk about it, how are people actually going to learn? Because unless people have lived experience or they have a family member who has a need for it, they're not learning anything about what the needs of a traveller is. And that's been one of my great joys as a travel writer, being able to access PRs for tourism and actually explain it to them, explain the, you know,
1: the variance. One of the experiences I have been, uh, one of a great matter of Dylan's, is that we went to an event once, and unfortunately what I witnessed was sometimes people need to be shamed into making a difference. Um, The example is there is a very famous uh, heritage building in Melbourne that the event was in, and as Dylan rolled up to the entrance... You could see five people from the PR company's face all go red as they realized there was seven to 10 steps that Dylan needed to get up to get in there. We ended up carrying you up the steps and you were obviously great about it. And hopefully they'll learn from that. But for somebody who isn't Dylan, someone like your son, you know, someone with no profile where people will kind of not make that extra effort, it's got to be difficult. What kind of reaction needs to happen for there to be changed, do you think?
3: We tend to go the opposite approach. So I know that a lot of people go to the newspapers, but we've actually found that that has not stood us in good stead when we've been trying to do good advocacy work yeah. because people are very frightened of going to the newspapers. So we've asked to review properties and they're like, oh, no, I don't think so. And they've been really, really nervous about it because they think we're about naming and shaming. Whereas I'm much more about feeding back positive feedback and how That's they can awesome. change yep. their accommodation. So I understand there's two different approaches, but we've had some really great success, That's which awesome. I can't really name, but we've had some really great success with change
1: coming about, going about it quietly.
2: I like to call in, not call out, is how I put it. Oh. So rather yeah. than call out all the time, call them in and yeah. go, Look,
1: I'm you didn't not, put that on your Instagram that day in particular. Nah. You actually just celebrated the great event that it was yeah, once yeah. we got
2: in. But then you tell them, you go, "Hey, next time, get prepared." They're like, yeah, I didn't even think of that. You know what I mean? So hopefully, for someone else, yeah. you're right, because I'm the lucky one who gets bought bottles of red wine when an aer- airplane loses my wheelchair or whatever because they feel they feel bad and they don't want to go on Twitter. But I always think of people like your son. People, you know, what if you have got MS and you've six year old lady and you can't get off? They just they just leave you there mm-hmm. for ages because it's not a priority. Because the priority is getting everybody else off the plane to make more money, basically. Horror stories. Have you got any horror stories about what happened to you and your family when you were traveling?
3: Not really. We've been, I think because I research everything so much, yeah, that's we don't really have horror stories. So what that's about my airlines number are, one. What
2: about airlines? Can you get on the planes? Have they been pretty good with the wheelchair and stuff?
3: They've been great. We've only ever had the wheelchair... Damaged once and it was wheel guards and the airline paid for the new wheel guards, yeah. which is good. We have arrived at places. Our preference is always to have our son's wheelchair at the gate, 100%. like at the aeroplane door, and we have arrived at places and not had it there, but it's been at the baggage handling and, as you know, those aisle chairs are just hideous. So he hates that. But that's probably the only
1: nasty well, story we have. strap yourself in, Julia. I had to coerce <laughs> Dylan into sharing a couple of these stories about flights, and we're not sharing these for anything other than for people who are able-bodied or not in a wheelchair to understand the circumstances sure. that people uh, in wheelchairs or dis- or disability can go through.
2: Oh, not – yeah, you know, just it's hard because I once flew to Fiji actually and you know what an aisle chair is, you just mentioned it. It's a really narrow wheelchair that fits down the aisle and I, I imagine maybe your son but I know I definitely need to use that to go to the bathroom because I can't walk to the bathroom. I was sitting in row seat 10C. And I said, have you got an old chair? And they said, yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll have one on board. And and then they um, got me on the plane and they said, oh, I said, I've got to go, go to the bathroom. Flying Melbourne to Fiji. And they said, oh, we have no aisle chair. It weighs three kilos and that would make the plane go slower. So we didn't put uh. it on. So I had to crawl 10 rows to go to the bathroom. And again, I didn't put it on my Instagram. I, and that's know.
1: literally hands crawling up the aisle? Yeah, and
2: the the poor – and you'll agree, Julie, when something goes wrong in, wrong in travel, you feel bad for the people that are working there – the frontline service staff so in this case the people the, the uh, cabin crew because they're mortified yeah. they're like can i carry you i'm like look you weigh 60 kilos so do i how are you going to carry me yeah. uh, i yeah. felt so bad for them and i've had some other problems like i once got uh, after splendor in the grass i got left i was at an airport trying to fly back from byron to melbourne and it was the last flight i had a big launch for our foundation the next day and we got to the plane and they said, oh, I'm sorry, it's too windy in Melbourne. Our elevator, we haven't upgraded. It might not work. So you're just going to have to stay in the airport for 24 hours. Oh. And I said, oh, I'll crawl up the stairs. And this no, is last year. "I'll crawl up the stairs. Don't worry. They said no. And then they um people refused to get on the plane because they knew I was and they got a security guard to escort us
1: out. But the security guard was so lovely, wasn't he? He's
2: like, please don't. I'm so sorry, man. I've got to do this. He's I like, please no don't make job. a scene. I'm
1: really a big fan of yours, but I've been asked to but remove the, you from this. Area.
2: The, the problem is with that is they can figure out travel industry hotels airlines like tourism industries can figure out what they need to do by asking us just ask yes, people exactly. with lived experience um like we could have figured out that thing with the elevator easily mm. but rather than ask us they just refused to talk to us they didn't even uh-huh. respond to us they they would stand there like we weren't even people and she i said oh i need to talk to you i'm a passenger on this plane she goes you're not a passenger anymore i was like what like, like i'm why degrade me so much like i'm not equal to anybody else you sometimes feel like cargo do you agree with that do you think the best way for them to figure out is to ask people like us
3: oh 100 i mean one of my greatest distresses is the fact that in all the years of everything changing you have sightseeing boats and you have airplanes with the same size toilets on them yeah so you get onto certain flights and you'll see their the disability symbol on the door and you think oh Wow, they've actually got a bigger toilet. And you open it, same size as normal. So the A380s, that was the first aircraft that actually had a larger bathroom. So somebody assisting, needing assistance, like my son, could fit more than one person in there. Now, going to the bathroom, I think it's probably the most basic human right we all have, something that everyone can understand. And imagining being on a 24 hour flight, you know, I hear horror stories of people, you know, not drinking, not eating, you know, needing to have enemas the day before
2: before they fly just because of the fear of actually needing to go to the bathroom on a long-haul flight. Yeah, those those double doors open up. So you can combine two toilets on some planes. Do you know that? I yeah. Know There's that. a door that illuminates, so you can open it up so you can have yourself and someone help you in there. But it's funny because when you have to go to the toilet, the number twos, it actually is open at the top. So you feel bad that it might smell throughout the plane. Oh. But it's funny.
0: Oh, <laughs> right. Little disabled
1: okay. Not all of them are
0: like that. No, mate. all of
2: them. Some so, of them are. Okay. Or. You can have fit two people in there as well. I know what you're going
1: to If you gonna, know what I mean. Dylan was going to I just knew <laughs> that he you know was going to you know what I
2: mean, Julie. Um,
3: you're waiting for the bathroom for a while. Yeah, imagination hey, goes
2: wild. Well. Not a while. Three seconds. Yeah, I was going to say it's yeah. less than time
1: for number two. <laughs> so you've got on your website, once again, That You've got, I'm um, just looking at some of the uh, the links, uh, mobility restrictions, sensory-friendly, vision-impaired, support worker. What are you finding that people heading to your website are most looking for? And if there is a hotel chain listening to this. Let's say the McEwa are listening to this right now. What do you want to see on their website? Is there emblems? Is there little citations down the bottom? Is there something that, is there wording that they can use so everyone knows the exact accessibility?
3: So I find that probably wheelchair users have the greatest need as far as having very specific requirements and looking for specific information. I think the U.S. does it quite well because they usually have it front and centre, front page. I always say to people, if you have it on the first page amongst all the other information, I immediately feel welcome at your establishment. If I go to your website, that's an immediate tick if you've got accessible rooms listed with all the other rooms. Um, I think if they have the room dimensions and photos, video, bonus points. But I think everyone has different needs. Dylan would have really different needs to us with my son. My son prefers a bath. He can actually do a standing transfer into a bath. So we just look for space in an elevator. We don't actually look for a roll-in shower.
2: Mm.
3: So everyone has such different needs that they can't think that they can cookie-cutter you know, what people are looking for. And therefore, if they've got the information, people can make their own decision. I always say to hotels and attractions, don't tell me what's accessible because, um, you know, we'll decide what's accessible Mm. for us. We did the luge at Queenstown where we bumped my son's wheelchair right to the top of the luge and then when we got to the bottom, the wheelchair was at the top, but we walked him back up, bumped the wheelchair back down to get him because we really knew how much he'd like that. Mm. But then the next day, we did a really easy day. So, parents. Yeah, okay.
2: You raise a great point, right? i tell you why they should advertise that they're accessible and put it on the front page. Not because they're doing the right thing, but because they can make a shed load of money, mm. right? Oh, exactly. Change the narrative. So airlines, I always feel like a pain in the ass with airlines and I always call into them, not, not trying to get you know, them to pay for my services through my consulting company, although that would be nice, but we love <laughs> to help. We go, just listen to what I've got to say just because we want to make it easier. Just listen. And they're like, no, no, we already know what to do. Or they say, oh, we don't want to learn too much because then we stick our ne- necks out and then we stuff up. We get yelled at. We're like, no, no, no. More, we want to travel. Just listen to how we can That's help right. and then we'll all pay for it. Like It's a business decision. This is not you doing a nice thing. It's straight business. And when you when you frame it like that, hopefully now tourism around the world are going, oh, you know what? I'll do that because I'll make a lot of money and I'll do the right thing. And it's a triple win. You get cash, you're doing the right thing and you get to travel with your son and I get to travel. So everybody wins. That's
1: right.
3: Mm. Well, I do a speed dating event as a journalist where you meet with different tourism um, operators. And the first year I did it, I did it on an emotional level. You know, this is our family, this is what we're going to do. Next year, I learned my lesson. I took the facts, the economic facts of it and handed it. That was the first thing I handed them. And you can see the difference in their response when they saw the economic facts and then went the emotional approach of this is what it looks like. Because I think that's the other thing is they can't picture what accessible tourism looks like. And the imagery is actually really compelling.
1: I don't know how to frame this. It's not a ball of uncomfortable question. I've got one of those for a little bit later on. Do you understand to an extent that there are some countries that just will never get to a point of being accessible for disability? Yes. Does that make sense? There are some Asian yeah. countries with the most rickety yeah. roads I in went, the entire world, I, India.
2: I went tubing in
1: Laos
2: where you oh, go wow. down a river and there's like 50 bars. It's been closed down now because unfortunately some Australians passed away. But there was like 50 bars. On I've the, heard about that. And I like just tied my wheelchair to a tube and the, almost lost my wheelchair. But I'm an idiot. But it was so hard. So I did Thailand, Vietnam. Cambodia,
1: layout. You've done Bali as well. I don't yeah. know how you do some of these countries. Bali's but, even better than those places. I mean, electric wheelchair. But I, just, exactly, right,
2: I'm in a manual chair. How do, you,
1: how do you do it? I mean, do you have to understand, not understand, like unfortunately understand that there are going to be some countries that just can't or just won't be able to, maybe from an economic point of view, be accessible?
3: Yeah, and I think we travel with a manual chair as well. I think that gives you a lot more opportunity to, to change things up really and be flexible. But I think it also comes down to some travellers and just not suited to travel to certain destinations. Yeah. And I always say to people, start local, try the easy things, work out what suits you because for us, we're prepared to tie Braden onto the back of a quad bike in Fiji and go quad biking. So I think there's, yes, countries that aren't just simply not going to have the economics to do yeah. it or the desire to do it. Mm-hmm. I think in some countries, people with disability are seen as a shameful thing.
1: Yeah, that's also um, true.
3: Which is really sad. Um, and we've experienced that even in Australia with visitors from overseas. Braden makes um, noise because when he's excited, he has no verbal way of actually making a sound. So sometimes it comes out as a, a, a sound. And, you know, the look on their face, they're horrified. They're frightened of him. So mm. I can't see those countries embracing accessible tourism.
2: On that trip, I went to Thailand. I was with 20, 15 mates. I went to the full moon party in Copenhagen <sighs> and, on the sand, and people from that country were filming me on their phones dancing. They were just like, what is this? Mm. They've never probably seen anyone in a wheelchair before because they normally like.
1: Well, you're probably also covered in neon paint in a wheelchair on the sand and I, with and a bucket <laughs> of drink. and
2: I had on my chest $5 a ride? <laughs> 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 All right, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I want to know best destination to travel to yeah. for wheelchair, non-physical disability, so like intellectual disabilities and that, and sensory disability, so someone with autism and aspects From your experience, From your of experience. course.
1: There might be the best out there, and please contact or us. people but that have got
2: in touch with you and told yeah. you. W- what's some advice? I would
3: say the US, which I know was in contrast to what you said before, Dylan.
2: Well, I think they've but, got the best accessibility, yes. Culturally, the way they communicate with people with a disability, I don't like. So when you get on a plane hello, sir, I'm going to tie you to this chair to get yeah. you on the plane. And you're like Hannibal Lecter. And you're like, oh, good man, I can transfer it to myself. No, 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 sir, I know how you're going to transfer. We do it like this in this country. It's like, do not tell me mm. how to wheelchair. That kind of stuff I don't like. I call yeah. it the hardware's good, the accessibility, the software. So the understanding and the way they talk, not Look great. At you go. That's my consultant. <laughs> Very manager. good. Thank you.
3: I think the um, Americans with Disability Act has meant that there's been massive change in the US and they've just celebrated, I think, their 30-year anniversary of that. But when I was in, I was in an accessible tourism conference in San Francisco in November and they were launching um, Visit Mesa as the first accessible, oh, sorry, the first autism-friendly destination. And so one of their tourism guys there has some with autism and he worked really hard on getting businesses on board so from your mom and pop type businesses to your bigger businesses and now they're a certified autism um destination basically wow that's sick so that's fairly impressive change since when brayden was younger i can't even imagine what i would have thought if there were you know sort of accommodations being made and and progress being made like that
2: yep what about the best place you've been on with brayden where's your favorite family holiday you've been on
3: I mean, it's a bit of a toss-up between New Zealand and Fiji. Um, I think in Fiji because Fijians had an attitude of, you want to do it, we'll make it happen for Mm -hmm. you. So, as I said, tied him onto the back of a quad bike, which we've never been able to do before. He went sailing, he did all kinds of activities there. And New Zealand was really good bang for his buck because there was a mixture of things like the Luge in Queenstown, helicopter flight to France... Franz Joseph
2: Glacier, where he could sit on a sit ski when he got to the top. was oh, cool. awesome. And then just basic, easy accessibility for walks. So. That's cool. He wasn't on Bachelor in Paradise, was he, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> if not, let's get No,
1: him but on. I'm sure he'd love it. Yeah. He <laughs> loves attention. <laughs> he Before you go, Julie, uh, there is a bowl of uncomfortable. Uh, this is where somebody sends us a question. I'm not sure if you've heard the podcast, but this one, it actually comes from a small business owner. Why should people. Small businesses, cafes, restaurant stores spend tens of thousands of dollars to accommodate for the less than
0: 1%. Well, I
3: think for starters, one in five Australians lives with a disability, so I'm not quite sure about that figure. And it's a case of universal design. So you're not actually looking at it just from the perspective of a wheelchair user. You're looking at prams. So a pram can get easy access into a cafe because it's got the the ramp or, you know, step-free access, it's got room to sit with prams. That's a whole other market. You've also got your elderly market, so your baby boomers who are less able to get around now but might not be in a wheelchair but just simply have got bad hip, bad knee, whatever. Roll, they want easy access.
1: Rollerbladers. So the rollerblading community is huge, yeah. And scooters. <laughs> sure.
3: I think we need to stop looking at it as just one, you know, one part of the community and looking at it as universal design that's inclusive of all those groups because it's been proved that that is economically viable. Mm.
2: Cool. One more from our community. Send this one through. Has your son ever been a burden on you for you to enjoy your holidays?
3: No, gosh, never. He enhances our holidays because seeing the joy that he gets is just like amazing. We absolutely love it. And, as a family, we've actually found that uh, I have a daughter, Amelia, who's 17, so the seven years difference between them. The holidays and shared experiences have actually um, really bonded them together because she sees her brother doing exactly, you know, what she enjoys doing. Um, as a husband and wife, we've found that it's very much a case of we're just a family. We're no longer carers when we're on a holiday. We're not worrying about therapy. We're not worrying about those things. So for us, holidays together are
2: key. And just before there you go, what's that book behind? Is a book behind you yeah? there? <laughs> oh, whose book's that?
1: Dylan knew that uh, Julie was carrying a copy of his autobiography called Abel, which seems to have a lot of little post-it notes in it. What's that? Yeah. Wow, a so lot.
3: My daughter's just done her, her year 12 major work on um, portrayal of disability in film. And when she finished Dylan's book, she actually said to me, "Mum, there's way too many quotes in here. It's too
2: good." That's what so, I like to uh, There's a the
3: nice plug for you, Dylan. It was super helpful. Nice. And, um,
1: yeah. How
2: do you feel? Early. How do you feel about swear words? Because there's a few in there. There's
1: a few in there. So oh, nice. fine. Okay, good. very
2: good, very good. <laughs> hey, I'll, All good. I'll I will catch up one day when COVID's finished and be able to sign it
1: for you. Sounds good. Uh, Julie Jones from Travel Without Limits, thank you so much for coming on Listenable and uh, helping us learn a little bit more about traveling without limits for everybody. Pleasure. And we want to hear your stories. Uh, here's the thing. People are sending Dylan DMs on his personal Instagram, my personal Instagram, um, the Listenable podcast Instagram, uh, Facebook, we're getting messages of people either suggesting people or are just putting themselves forward to share their story, we're going to bring it all into a big tunnel. Send us an email. Um, Just tell us your name, where you're from, a bit of backstory about you, maybe who you're suggesting and why, maybe some links so we can check them out. And, um, you know, we we have meetings every Friday about, you know, potential guests in the future. So make sure you put yourself or someone forward and, and they could be on the next episode of Listenable. Speaking of which, here's our next guest.
0: Hi, great to be here. Great to do stand up on the online. So I was born with this with this arm. It's great. Uh, my mum, she wasn't aware, but she had to keep me. The hospital had that policy. Mm-hmm. They're like, you break it, you buy it. So <laughs> stuck with me. But I, I often think that having an arm like this is it can be a bit of a curse. It can. Um, it's mostly because it looks it looks quite phallic. Those of you who aren't watching the video, it's phallic. I can't express it in any other way. It looks like E.T.'s dick, okay? (laughs) It is.
1: Very
2: excited about that one. We are. Make sure you click the little subscribe button at the top. Write a comment.
1: thousand ratings we've had online as well. Tell your
2: mates, we really want to get this in as many ear holes as we can all around the world. And we are truly humbled by the amount of support that we've got
1: the next episode of listen able make sure you subscribe for it and we'll catch you then listen able was presented by dylan alcott and angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with podcast one australia audio production by darcy thompson and the music was written and performed by eliza hull